So hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Gareth Hagan, the Deputy CEO of OCO Global, and you're very welcome to uh, our OCO broadcast, episode eight. Uh, and today we're going to talk about the future of BPO uh, post-COVID-19. And I'm really delighted today to be joined by a couple of partners of OCO. So first of all, I'm delighted to be joined by Omar Sultan Khan. Uh, Omar is the CEO of the Trinidad and Tobago International Finance Centre, and he's effectively responsible for uh, the establishing of financial services operations and helping companies to establish in that sector in Trinidad and Tobago. So you're very welcome, Omar. Uh, and I'm also delighted to be joined by Jeff Land, uh, Jeff is the CEO of Infinity CCS, uh, and Infinity have a range of products that they sell into a variety of sectors, including the BPO sector. And Jeff's an experienced customer experience executive working across Europe and Asia in a variety of businesses. So look guys, very pleased that you're able to join us today. So perhaps we can just go straight into the, the questions and maybe uh, Omar, I'll start with yourself. Sure. Uh, and we look, we've been watching, you know, as things have unfolded across the world on COVID-19, and it hasn't escaped my notice that Trinidad and Tobago has received a lot of praise uh, from Oxford University's response tracker and various other sort of sources with regards to the response to the crisis. So, Omar, it'd be great if you might just talk to us a little bit about how it's felt in Trinidad and Tobago uh, and kind of specifically around BPO and how companies are adapting to this new normal of working from home and other developments in the sector. Sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks very much, uh, Gareth. And, and hello to you, Jeff, as well. Um, so really, you're, you're right. You know, we've we've had a pretty good um, plan from our government in terms of our response to COVID. We may not have been the, the earliest responder, but we certainly have been effective in, in implementing certain policies and procedures and trying to get ahead of, of COVID as much as we can. And specifically, you know, with regards to financial services and BPO, you know, generally, most of the companies and government agencies have been really able to leverage our robust technology infrastructure. And we really do have an adaptive culture. Um, so deploying a work-at-home model, it, it worked pretty well for us. It was almost seamless. Um, and I can give a couple of examples. You know, really, first with the Toronto Tobago IFC itself, you know, we are a government agency and we were able to maintain all our domestic and international facilitation services and we've been working remotely since about March 17th. And, and during that time, we really would have continued to able to, we were able to continue, sorry, to build a pipeline, develop relationships with the prospective um, investors. And really it was a move to technology and having that infrastructure would allow us to even have a, what we call like a virtual uh, inbound mission, an inward visit for potential investors. So we were still able to showcase what we have here in Trinidad um, and what we can offer to the global workforce. But specifically, you know, some of the other entities here, um, specific to BPO and uh, shared services, uh, company Evolve Mortgage Services here, which is a Texas-based company that set up part of its shop in Trinidad where they had moved from India to here. Their transition was even more seamless in that their whole uh, arrangement is to have their employees work from home. So even before the pandemic hit, most of their employees were, were working remotely. So it was an even easier transition for them to that model. But the key was that, you know, kind of going back, was that they were equipped um, ahead of time. So some of them would have had business continuity plans in place. And in, in Trinidad and Tobago, it, it's something that we really pushed for um, for the last few years to, to be prepared for these types of pandemics. And just to kind of give you a bit more of an overview, 
you know, through our local chamber of industry and commerce, they would have commissioned an outlook study uh, sometime in April. And most of our respondents in that study were of the view that the employees are actually more productive during this time. You know, at least a third of the participating businesses indicated that they've committed, have a committed workforce and they can adopt to re, uh, re, working remotely. But more than half of these businesses, which hold a view with fi within finance, retail, and manufacturing, share this view. And I think I just wanted to kind of touch upon, I, I mentioned it before, it's our infrastructure and our, our culture. You know, in Trinidad and Tobago, um, we have a, quite a high mobile penetration rate, you know, a high number of computer ownership. And while, you know, we may, we may have taken that for granted in the past, it certainly came in handy in terms of our response, especially compared to some of our neighbors in the region. You know, we have over 140% mobile penetration, so about 78% internet penetration. And this is much higher than some of the, the other end, uh, countries, such as Jamaica or Costa Rica in the region. So I, I, didn't, I just wanted to stress that point that that really, really played a critical aspect in us and our response. And then just generally some of the financial institutions here, you know, we have a number of banks, international banks here, and you know, one being Scotia, you know, they from the start would have reduced their frontline um, employees exposure to by about 50%. They have a huge shared services backend support functions here in Trinidad and Tobago, where they would have sent the majority of the employees to work from home and, and making sure that they have laptops and, and having the infrastructure in place. So really, the, the, this would have been the approach taken by most of the institutions here in Trinidad and Tobago. It's just really getting ahead of, of the, the pandemic itself to a certain extent. But even if it's during the time, it's just ensuring that we have the, I guess, the continuity plans in place, the infrastructure in place, and utilize the to the best uh, possible way. Thanks, Omar. And those themes that you talked about there in terms of flexibility, your efficiency, and, and being able to keep the... The business going uh, or your clients keeping the business going in these strange times i mean jeff i guess that's the business that infinity you know is in and you've built a range of solutions to do just that in terms of helping kind of uh, companies and their operations to do things you know more efficiently you know more flexibly uh, etc i mean I, I would imagine jeff you've been watching developments with keen interest you know over the last kind of couple of months as you think about expanding your own business i mean what are you seeing jeff or what would you anticipate seeing in the future uh, in this space in terms of, uh, you know, ever increasing, you know, kind of changes in business model and kind of the efficiency and, and flexibility that comes with that? Well, first of all, thanks, Gareth, for inviting me on to have a have a chat with such a, an esteemed audience with, with Omar and, uh, and yourself. Um, we have seen some quite dramatic changes over the past two months. And um, I noted that Omar said that uh, they started working remotely from the 17th of March. And we actually started working remotely as Infinity from the 16th of March. So we were we were only uh, a few hours in front of you on, on, on getting uh, everybody working from home. So yeah, I think it, uh, it all it hit us all at the same time. Um, and we, we are a reasonably small organization and um, we cover probably somewhere in the region of about 15, 16 countries around Europe, Middle East, Africa, and, um, and and obviously the US as well. And what we saw was, if I just talk about the BPO business in, in the first instance, is um, the, the UK NHS wanted to do a number of things. And uh, they what they did was they went to three business process outsourcers who are the pretty much the three largest across the UK and, and you know, they, and also across Europe and North America as well. And they wanted to 
build very quickly um, an opportunity that they're calling NHSX, which is uh, pretty much the, the the three T's: the you know track and trace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And um, we were asked by the business process outsourcer that actually we came out of when we um, when we sort of moved away from them as a technical house in 2007. Um, we've been working with them ever since all across Europe in Italy and Romania and France and UK and Egypt and, and Greece and a number of other countries as well. And what we saw was the immediacy for um, the BPOs to want to find a solution for their clients to work remotely, number one. And they moved quickly and they achieved um, tremendous things quickly. Um, but I think what we saw was that some of the legacy technology um, where they're using maybe .NET applications, and I don't want to get too technical on this call, as a, on this call, as opposed to using cloud or web applications. Um, and what we saw was that uh, there was a bit of time to sort of get that to work. But when it did work, it worked very quick, worked very well and very reliably. And the majority of the major clients that we see now that are being supported by the business process outsourcers that we work with are working remotely in some way, shape or form. Um, they might be using Citrix, they might be using um, VPNs, they might be using web or cloud. Um, and what we saw as well is that we we were asked to build an application in the cloud, which we did for our um, one business process outsourcer. And um, we actually only launched our cloud version of our product um, back last year. So the first major in anger use of our new platform, which is the, the, the WebStroke cloud platform, was for the NHS track and trace program. And um, we've now got, we've gone from zero to about 5,700 users on our platform. And um, we haven't had a hiccup. So I think what these times have brought, Gareth, um, is, you know, a typical, I don't know, some people call it a stiff upper lip and all that sort of stuff. But what has happened is that the the technology providers and the BPOs have really stepped up and they should be proud of themselves in what they've done in a short period of time. Um, we've seen that in the UK. We've got that NHSX uh, application up and running, as I just mentioned. We're seeing also across France and we're seeing across Italy um, where they we saw dramatic drops in the amount of traffic that was coming through our applications. And then as they adapted and, and worked out how to do stuff remotely, um, they very quickly ramped back up to normal traffic rates. So it's quite amazing the adaptation that um, the whole industry has taken and the and the and the and the, the way belt and braces that they've embraced um what is a, a global pandemic um so that that's what i've seen in in the uh, in the business process outsourcing space and people have just dug in i mean um you know going back to what omar said about people working seamlessly remotely um we support most of our clients remotely anyway because they're all overseas and we're based out of the uk we've got designers um you know actually software designers based in in various locations we don't have a design office as such so our designers tend to work remotely and so um to get our professional services people accounts people sales people um working remotely really happened 
very, very quickly. Um, and it's made us now think, going back to your question as to what does this mean, part of your question, Gareth, what does this mean for the future, is I just think this has taught us all an awful lot. And if I were the big... Um, you know, office providers and, you know, your landmarks and your very large uh, um, real estate guys, I'd be worried because I don't think anybody's going to return back to the office anytime soon. So uh, a fantastic challenge, a great response, and it's been a real pleasure to be part of it, even though it's such a a nasty thing to happen to the world, the COVID-19 stuff. But to see people respond um, the way that they have in the industry that I have been proud to represent for many, many years is a real pleasure. So, Jeff, you know, just hitting on some of the points that I I just heard you mention, you know, I think it's definitely critical. You mentioned that the technology and BPO providers really kind of got together to to ensure that there is, like you say, a seamless um, change to their working remotely. But, you know, the question I had for you, is, is really this, you know, what is most important to you as a company when you look to grow into a new market? So essentially, what support from government do you need to de-risk expansion? That's, um, that's a super question and puts me on the spot, Omar. Sure, sure, um, sure. We've, we have just uh, moved recently into the North American marketplace and uh, we've, being a small organization, we tended to stay away from the public sector because of the difficulty in getting traction in that marketplace and getting through the um, bureaucracy that um, much larger suppliers than ourselves can handle easily and quickly without having to bring um, you know headcount on board to be able to uh, make that sort of stuff work so from from governments when i'm when i'm looking into a country um, I'm looking at the taxation. Uh, I'm looking at the, you know, employment. I'm looking at office space. I'm looking at what do I need to do? Can I can I support the marketplace with what I've got as a core base, or do I need to move people into the space? Um, what's the what's the step, the interim step that I need to take before I I can create critical mass with enough business to be able to support it in the local country? So. To de-risk all of that, which is really um, a a cost hit to us, um, we will have obviously made the decision that we think the market's big enough. So we'll have done our market research and we'll have made the decision that we think that's where we want to go. Um, But when we do have something that we feel is going to really help a business or a market, then we would like to be able to go to a government and say, we think we've got a great business plan here. We want to share it with you. We want to share our enthusiasm with you. Can we have a bit of enthusiasm back so that we can see that sure, uh, we, we're loved and we're wanted, you know? Um, so to ease those early days and be it people, be it cost, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to how much money um, jointly we're prepared to to put to put into it. But um, yeah, it, it's the, the easing of the bureaucracy and assistance towards cost and assistance towards access in in some of the marketplaces that we'd like to get into. Maybe we have seen a niche that we know that we can exploit, but maybe there's a wider um, a wider marketplace that maybe we're missing 
in certain countries and the ability to go and speak to people to have a good open discussion on what it is that we're trying to do and then trying to exploit wider opportunities um, rather than just our unique single opportunity or group of opportunities. So there's a, there's a number of things in there, Omar, I think that would assist when we're moving into marketplaces. Hope that answers more. I know, more. I know that a lot of what uh, Jeff has just said will, will resonate, you know, particularly having spent yeah, time absolutely. You know, absolutely. In, in Trinidad with uh, with yourself and the team. But but just kind of having heard that from the, the horse's mouth, as it were, you know, what are some of those you know themes and some of those, you know, sort of uh, priorities that Jeff talked about mean for an organization like your own? And, you know, what does that mean moving forward, Omar, in terms of how you think about positioning Trinidad? Sure. Uh, in the, in the post-COVID world. Listening to Jeff, you know, it, it was music to my ears and I, I really understand, you know, the approach that, you know, persons in his position or who he represents, um, you know, they look for. And, you know, there are the, the items that are, are par for the course for like he mentioned with this taxation, office space, the employment, and then the, act, the market. But I think, you know, what's the real, for us, what we see as the real value is, is where he mentioned more of the, the enthusiasm if it's from, from the government side. And the feel of being wanted, um, you know, and I think a lot of times, perhaps in the past, that was not undervalued, but it was on the same level as some of the other, say, incentives that you may may have out there with regards to, say, taxation and office space. And even going back to his, his previous point on, you know, office space is, is not going to be as high on on your your list of requirements, given where we are moving with technology. It really shows um, that what the IFC has been doing here in Trinidad is is becoming more of a resourceful ally, which is actually our our slogan, to be to be honest. And that how do we accommodate, you know, investors coming into different parts of the region, and really meeting what they need, because we believe that you know a lot of the the tangible items we can compete on, but that's par for the course. Really, it's how do we partner with them? How do we create uh, like a bespoke solution, and and customize what they require to be successful. And really how we've been doing that is really just what we call, you know, giving them that facilitation service here in Trinidad. And I think for IPAs across the region, uh, you know, speaking for us here in the Caribbean, you know, that we're more familiar with, it's really, you know, putting that extra step um, in terms of providing them a type of turnkey solution. You know, we work with the investor, do the digital inbound missions, like I mentioned. I think that's also going to be key because, you know, even when travel opens up, we're not sure how much face-to-face you're going to get now with these potential investors. You may have it made a part of their final decision-making process, but really we have to be, you know, flexible, adaptable in terms of how do we replace that face-to-face, but still give them what they're looking for. From both yourself and uh, Jeff's sort of comments so far, you know, I, I, there's a number of words that have resonated in terms of, you know, I can sense a sense of pride from you both and, a sense of doing the right thing in terms of that flexibility and kind of agility that you talk about in terms of facing off uh, facing off to investors. Jeff, if I can maybe turn it over to you, actually, and, um, you know, in the UK, you know, particularly, and I know elsewhere in the world, you know, the definition of the front line has changed uh, in the last number of months. And, you know, I think people are now realizing that the front line is often, you know, made up of people that are not perhaps visible, but are kind of working away in the shadows. And that's certainly been true in a, a lot of the, the services that the, the BPO kind of sector has provided, you know, that's kept, you know, the economy and kept critical services moving uh, in the last two or three months. 
I suppose from your perspective, Jeff, and you alluded to it earlier in terms of being sort of somewhat in the eye of that storm, you know, kind of what has that sort of meant, Jeff? And are there are there longer term kind of implications of some of the things that you've probably done in the last couple of months that might shape your business for perhaps the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, you're you're right, Gareth, and um, you you raise some good points there. Um, just just to sort of put things into perspective, like I said earlier, we're we're a reasonably small company compared to the people that we support. I mean, we we support people like um, the fire department in New York who make um, who receive 1.4 million 911 calls a year. Um, we support New York City Health and Hospitals, who are one of the largest hospitals in the in the in New York City area um, that have, you know seven, eight major locations and um, thousands of hospital beds and taking appointments for, for people to and lining them up with doctors and, you know, various other, various other things that, that these people do as well. And what we found is that um, we had phone calls from the fire department in New York who um, the, the mayor had made a, a, a reasonably strong demand for the fire department to um, – offload a lot of the calls that they were receiving that were COVID-19 related um, because their calls went up from 1.4 million calls a year to, to an average of 2.1 million calls a year. So it went up by 50% and they asked us, what can we do to change the front end of what you do with a 911 triage call and get those calls into um, relevant people that can handle the COVID-19 situation? Um, and then there was various things that happened with New York City Health and Hospitals in that they wanted to do track and trace tests. How do we handle that? How do we put a short script on the front end of um, what we've got that we've built with you, which is our normal policy and procedure that you've implemented for us in, in the product sets that we've sold them. And what we found was that um, we could do very simple things very quickly on the platforms that we had provided for both of these clients, and we were able to help them in days. And so uh, I think what has happened is, is, is a couple of things. Number one, we're, we knew that we were agile. We knew that we could, it's part of our, um, it's part of our sales procedures, if you like, is that we, we make sure that we can get our clients to understand that they can make their own changes. They can, they can respond to pandemics and they can do stuff themselves, um, which, is, which is great. But number two, what it meant was that we could use that same platform to be able to affect things very easily and very quickly. And going back to your core question, Gareth, on what does this mean for us in the future? What it means for us in the future is that we are able to, because we've we've been recognised by some fairly large organisations for what we've done during this um, terrible COVID-19 period, that we'll be remembered for that. And we we, we we don't want to go and shout from the rooftops, you know, what we did for COVID-19 because everybody did their best at the time and helped to pull things together. But for us, it means that we have now learnt something else um, that we know that we can do in critical industries. One of the things that we're actually doing is um, there's an organization based out of Salt Lake City that we're working with that do a lot of the blue light, you know, the fire ambulance and, and police uh, 911 stuff, and they are the world leader in what they do. And we are just at the point of going and, and providing to them um, our platform so that they can roll out a lot quicker 
um, into emergency services markets where currently people weren't able to get access to the sort of diagnostic tools that these guys sell. So putting that into the web and being flexible and being able to move quickly and then, you know, if not the web, the cloud, um, then uh, we, we, we believe that we can roll stuff out in critical environments quickly to help people to respond um, to respond to pandemic stuff like we've seen over the past few months, but also pandemic has taught people to think in different ways. And so being able to respond quickly to the different and new ideas that businesses have had to adapt to is going to be a real string to our bow. And um, the nice thing about what we do is that the majority of our stuff, even though it's a software-based product, is not R&D. It's not software developers. We've got a workflow engine that allows people to uh, pretty much take the Lego bricks and design what they want it to look like um, in, in, in their own environment, be that in a, a closed-down data center environment or in a, a closed down web environment or in a cloud environment. And um, I think that our tool set is going to enable people to respond a lot quicker, a lot easier, and um, in a way that uh, is sustainable from from businesses uh, as, they, as they take on the challenges of, you know, responding to what their clients need out there. And I, I hope that answers your question, Gareth. It definitely does, Jeff. And look, it's it's inspiring stuff. And uh, we had a, a recent webinar actually at OCO last week where we talked about what we're terming the acceleration effect of COVID, where I think across many industries, you know, we're estimating that, you know, what might previously have happened a couple of decades is likely to happen across a couple of years. And, and hence this accelerating of, uh, of, uh, of, of innovation and accelerating of services. And look, that's going to span, you know, kind of all of the world, both kind of public and uh, and private sector. So, you know, thinking about that a little bit, uh, Omar, and again, thinking about kind of investment promotion, you know, what might this kind of uh, acceleration effect kind of look like for, you know, kind of Trinidad and Tobago, you know, and how might you, you adapt, you know, the many strengths and the many, you know, natural kind of advantages that you have in Trinidad and Tobago, be it location, be it kind of talent, workforce, infrastructure, et cetera. But how will you adapt those, uh, Omar, to the changing needs of, of business that uh, Jeff has just described? I think what it comes down to uh, for us in Trinidad is, is our adaptive capability. Um, you know, in ICT, very importantly in ICT, but also in the mindset and the culture here. Um, you know, one of my fears is that, you know, a lot of persons expect things to go back to normal, right? But what is the new normal? It's still being figured out. And I think you know, one of the positive aspects that has come out of this, this, this nasty um, pandemic really is, is that we've seen what the change can do and how quickly we were able to, to make those changes. And those changes are obviously being pushed from technology are coming based on the demands of the investor. So while, you know, for us as an IPA that's focused on BPO, you know, there may be a knee-jerk reaction to reshoring versus nearshoring. And for countries like us, I know a smaller nations in Trinidad and Tobago, we have to show that we can still provide a viable, valuable opportunity, you know, as opposed to the likes as where people they traditionally go to, to Asia and to Europe. You know, for us in the Latam and the Caribbean, you know, we, we cannot let the challenges of the present economic climate really prevent us from offers, offering, you know, a viable nearshore location. So 
what I see happening here in Trinidad is that we've we put in something such as the National Recovery Committee, which we're taking all the learnings that we've we've had over the last month and a half. We figured out what pain points we may have had, what has worked really well. And like Jeff said, you know, everyone has really responded the best they can at this point in time. And it shows that while you put your best forth now, why can't you continue to do it going forward? Uh, really, for us to, to continue to promote ourselves, um, we just have to show that we can deliver world-class labor infrastructure from Trinidad. We know we have the talent pool. It's really to get the investors out there to see it and believe it. Um, I think having a company that's U.S. based here in Trinidad, U.S. based but have their services in Trinidad, is tant- it shows that we're able to execute and move quickly to work from home. Um, and it goes really back to, to our infrastructure here. Thanks, Umar. And look, I'll, I'll maybe perhaps bring things to a close. Basically, it's sort of funny that you know we're sitting, you know, uh, Belfast, Birmingham. I think Omar has kind of got the uh, the best card from the hand. He's sitting in the, in Trinidad, but but really, as we've talked around these topics on this call, you know, whilst these locations and, and many locations might sound you know very different on the surface, it's actually kind of uh, common themes we're coming back to around uh, location agnostic and flexible kind of uh, you know attributes that uh, I think are going to you know be come to the fore more and more in the future. I mean what do you think the future looks like? I mean if I may ask you both a, a short-term question, I mean do you have a sense you know kind of in your own kind of locations and where you do business as to kind of you know when things will you know start to normalize or, or semi-normalize and, and perhaps kind of you know what will your priorities be whenever uh, whenever we do uh, start to get back to normal maybe kind of to yourself first Jeff? Yeah, so I, I, it, that's an interesting question, Gareth, and I think these times have um, really made us all think dramatically about what the future looks like, and uh, we definitely will be more remotely re- more remotely located than we are at the moment. We will have, obviously, a registered office um, in probably the Birmingham area because that's where most of our employees are based, so should they need to have an office location, um, we need to be able to still get them into the office efficiently and easily. Public transport links are, are important there. Um, so, but we will downsize. There's no doubt about it. We will downsize, and we will make sure that. Um, I mean, most of our people have got the technology they need to be able to work remotely, which is why we moved on the 16th of March very quickly and easily into um, remote working situation. Um, as far as international locations go. Um, the, the norm has been, let's get a, a small office, maybe a satellite office, you know, like you guys had down in, um, in Broadway. I went to, to meet Alan down there a number of times. Um, I don't think these days, going forward, not these days, but going forward, that we would do that. Whereas six months ago, we would have done it. And we'd have, like I was saying before about what we need to invest and how we would invest and what governments need to help us with. And Omar came back with some pretty pretty salient um, replies to that. I, I don't think we would do that anymore. I think we would still need people to travel. Um, you, you, if, you, if you're not based there and you get to know somebody around the, the water cooler or the coffee machine, then, you, you know, what I've found with, with, with Teams and GoToMeetings and Zoom and all the other stuff is um, it's, it's good, uh, but you still need to get people round tables. People, we're, we're, we're you know, we're a, we're a herding, not a herding, sorry, we're a, a social creature and um, we still need to get 
close and, and understand and you know see people's body language and understand what they're saying and what they're doing it's not as easy with technology so there's still that interim step i think where you need to have that but for us the big change is that um we are far more remote um, and we've got to think about how we get the social stuff working. It might mean once every couple of months we just do a group of team meetings um, and we get into a, a location and uh, get everybody together so that we still know new members of the team can get integrated to, to, the, to the people and uh, the existing people. Don't forget their old friends and, you know, Jerry can still meet with Paul and, you know, they can talk about motorcycles because that's what they do, whereas it doesn't happen in these locations so it's it's massive it's a it's a big big change and i don't think we really know yet um quite what we are going to do as we evolve into into the new world i don't think i've answered your question as succinctly as maybe you wanted gareth but that's my thinking um currently and the thinking is changing as we as we move forward yeah no i empathize jeff and uh, you know kind of crystal ball gazing is difficult at the best of times but you know, even more difficult you know, with uh, all the things that are going on at the moment. I mean, to finish, Omar, I mean, I know that you've been thinking about, uh, you know, how you keep your activities and how you keep your investor-facing activity going, you know, in the, ne- in the next couple of months, in the last couple of months via virtual missions and, and other kind of changes in the, in the way you do business. But what's your perspective, uh, Omar, on kind of what the remainder of 2020 and beyond might look like for, for your organization? Sure. And, you know, just, just um, you know, piggybacking off of Jeff's comment, you know, I think that there is no replacement for human interaction and, and, and that, that touch point and, and that ability, like you said, you know, you, it, it does add a different dynamic to it. And I still hope that obviously in the, in the long term that we come back to some aspect of that, you can never really replace a, you know, a physical visit by an investor, but in the short term, really it's, it's working together with potential investors to see how best we can accommodate them. And I know I've mentioned this quite a bit throughout, uh, throughout this podcast, but really it, it is how do we meet their needs? Yes, the virtual mission is one aspect of it. And we try to do as much as we can through that. But for us as a country here, you know, really it kind of goes into how do we continue to develop the technology and how do we use that to, to attract investors. And I think for us, I'm soon realizing that it's a niche market that for us in Toronto, Tobacco, we can target. You know, he mentioned maybe smaller types of setups, you know, smaller offices, smaller back offices. And I think for us here, that's the that's the advantage we have in Toronto and Tobago is that for us, if it's 50 to 100 type of a number of persons in a back office, but you have 75% of them that have the ability to work from home or if not all, that's our value proposition here in Trinidad. We know we have the talent. We know we have the infrastructure. Now it's getting them to understand out globally that, look, we have companies here that prior to the pandemic were able to adjust very quickly. And it's because of what we have here as, as our value in Trinidad and Tobago. So for us in the short term is how do we fine tune that and package that as a, a product or service that investors can use from outside of Trinidad? And yes, while they may be you know, bringing things more like I said, reshoring and bringing it back home, we still have to be able to show that there is still an element and, and a, a value to companies to, to outsource. And now perhaps for our US-based targeted investors, it's really showing that we're still a short flight away. Um, when it's travel, perhaps they don't want to travel as far to the locations. And, and that's where we still have to 
push the value because we do believe, you know, in the medium term, there is still going to be some, like I said, human interaction and they'll be able to visit the sites. And right now in the short term, it's just fine tuning our package, showing, showcasing that, look, we have, we have companies that were able to increase employment during this pandemic, which is very, very ironic because they continue to service their clients. And because they were already work from home, they were able to just add to that current um, work plan that they had and able to successfully, you know, achieve their goals. So really for us, uh, uh, Gareth, it's focus on the short-term um, technology and publications and seeing how best you can continue to attract the investor. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I mean, knowing both of your businesses, you know, a little bit before this uh, podcast and listening to you both speak, you know, I, I really feel that a lot of what you said, you will position, you know, both, you know, Trinidad as a location and Infinity in terms of the business you do well for the future. I think the themes you've talked to in terms of flexibility, technology, talent, I think they're all going to come to the fore as they as they have done over the last kind of couple of months. So I think you can both face into the the future with a with a degree of uh, degree of optimism. So look, guys, I'd like to just thank you both for your time. Um, you know, I think it's been really insightful. And I'm sure our listeners will will feel that as well. I really do hope that uh, the sentiments that you both you know, gave in the last answer there about you know travel and kind of human interaction, you know, kind of not you know entirely going away. I hope that will be true. You know, it may even be the case that uh, we might meet basically kind of face to face, maybe over a, a Trinidad rum cocktail or a pint of Birmingham bitter uh, in some case uh, over the next couple of months. And I really look forward to that and, and wish you both all the very best success for the future. Thanks very much, Gareth. And it's nice to meet you, uh, Omar. Okay. No, thank you very much, Gareth, as well. And a pleasure meeting you as well, Jeff.